0: Brought to you by Fruitnet Media, this is Fruitbox. Welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet's series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. My aim is that these 15-minute conversations which we now broadcast once a week, every Wednesday, give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. It's now six months since I started Fruit Box, And like many of you, I've also taken a short summer break to put my feet up and to think back on all of those crazy things that have happened over the last six months and to prepare for perhaps the many other crazier things that may happen in the next six months. It was six summers ago at around this time in 2014 that the business was confronted by one of the biggest challenges to face it in recent years. I'm talking of course of the Russia ban, President Putin's decision to ban the imports of fresh fruits and vegetables from Europe, from the US and from many other parts of the world in a tit for tat response to their sanctions over Russia's incursion into Ukraine. It had a huge impact around the world and in Russia, too, of course. Joining me on Fruitbox today to talk about the Russia ban six years on, I'm delighted to be joined by Ksenia Gorovaya, who runs Crisp Consulting in St. Petersburg. Ksenia, welcome to Fruitbox.
1: Good day, everyone. I'm delighted to be here today. Thank you.
0: Ksenia, let's go back six years to that summer of 2014. You were running a successful consultancy business based in St. Petersburg, advising suppliers to Russia from the U.S. and Europe and other parts of the world. And then almost overnight, the business stops. Tell us what happened.
1: Well, let me start with more detail on what happened in August 2014. As you said, President Putin signed a decree that banned all imports of fruits and vegetables into Russia from European Union, United States, Australia, Norway and Canada. Mm. What was also banned was meat, fish, dairy and some other products. So the influence was very strong on the Russian retail market. Uh, I wanted also to mention that actually the preparations of vegetables and fruits were not banned. So some of the European suppliers continue to ship uh, olives, for example, and fresh juices and processed vegetables to the market, and that remains. But there was a big chunk of products that were blocked from the market.
0: So, the decree, so almost entirely fresh products that were blocked yes, from the market. They yeah, they
1: mainly targeted fresh mm. um, products, fresh commodities. And the decree, what was uh, strong about the decree, that the decree came in effect on the day of its signage, and yes, our business, the crisp consultant business was affected and it was basically stopped overnight mm. because back then we worked with Washington apples and USA pears, and that clearly was the product um, blocked from the market. But at least we didn't have containers on water mm. unlike many of the importers, many of the Russian importers. What they experienced was was a big shock and they l- lost loads of euros and uh, they had to redirect their containers so that was a mess and actually small players didn't recover and large ones uh, really experienced uh, troubles uh, which still persist mm. yeah so that's that's the brief uh, outlook on what what was going on back then
0: um and and you as a business i mean what what did you then do for crisp consulting how did you change because it literally happened overnight
1: yeah, well, uh, during first months, we kind of continued uh, hoping that it will be lifted um, and that lasted, yeah, for a couple of months. But then, um, well, we changed the geography, we changed the clientele. Mm-hmm. So now we not only work in Russia, but also work in Eastern Europe, meaning mm-hmm. former Soviet Union countries and some other countries. We also started working with other products like uh, fish and beers and spirits, etc. Mm-hmm. So, we were flexible, we still miss our clients and hope that someday we will be back, but who knows.
0: Well, let's hope so too. Now, what was the direct impact on on shoppers in, in Russia? I'm, I remember when together, you and I, we toured some supermarkets in, in St. Petersburg a few years earlier, and I remember being um, kind of so surprised to see the shells were all fully stocked with a wide range of uh, fresh produce from all over the world. And the reason I was shocked is because this was in the dead of winter. I remember we were together there in, in December uh, and, and December really was a December in St. Petersburg.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, based on experts, no, share of domestically produced foodstuffs increased from 20% in 2014 to 40% in 2018. Mm. So basically import substitution happened. Mm. Russia remains an important, a global importer. It's like number five in terms of volume importer of tomatoes, number five importer of cucumbers, number four for the stone fruit. So it still imports uh, quite a lot, but uh, crops that can be grown locally are gaining more share on retail shelves. For example, sufficiency in potato tr- uh, production is uh, close to 95%. Uh,
0: and, and if you look at those, those categories uh, where you are growing a lot in, in Russia and where you are substituting imports, we're talking about what, vegetables, you said tomatoes, apples, and so on and so forth. Uh,
1: yeah, well, it's um, uh, due to, the uh, you know, like 7.5% of Russian land is arable so it's not quite a lot but if you actually look uh, at the at the number of the hectares that's uh, like two uh, netherlands or netherlands plus belgium mm. uh, together yeah so uh due to the climate it's mainly root vegetables like potatoes and um carrots and mm. beets and 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 apples and mm. sour cherries mm. and some berries like strawberries yeah, these are the uh, commodities.
0: And, and um, we've seen uh, a huge level of investment go into, um, into the sector in Russia in the last number of years as Russia wants to become more self-sufficient in some of these products that you talked about. Um, and that's been in, it largely, has it not, in infrastructure. And in certain categories, it's been very interesting. For example, the tomato sector has had a, a huge level of investment going. Tell, tell us what's, what's happened and why it's happened in this way.
1: Well, yeah. So you under, so you understand the scale. Uh, Russia's self-sufficiency in commercial tomato sector expanded from 25 percent self-sufficiency to 50. Mm-hmm. And within the past five years, uh, as statistics official statistics shows, about 1,000 hectares of greenhouses. Were uh, launched mm. both by the uh, governmental investments and the private investments.
0: And Ksenia, these are these are where located around uh, Moscow and Saint Petersburg, uh, or is it further south in Krasnodar, uh, near the Black Sea?
1: Yeah, it's it's more uh, to the south because of the climate, but also mm. next to the residential areas like okay. Moscow and yeah. Moscow region. Not so much in St. Petersburg, but in St. Petersburg as well. Uh, In in the Russian Far East, we've seen some Japanese investments uh, in greenhouses, and they produce uh, tomatoes and cucumbers there as well. So it's a mix. They target um, areas close to Moscow, but to the south of Moscow. Mm. but but it also exists across the country yeah now
0: i interrupted you you were telling us about the the self sufficiency story in in russia how's it how's it affected the tomato sector in particular
1: so the self sufficiency for tomatoes increased for other vegetables also Uh, But it's not just greenhouses. It's also the massive development of storing facilities. This Mm. means that uh, root vegetables are stored for longer periods of times, which shortens windows of er of opportunity for international suppliers, as you can imagine. Mm. So it's a really massive shift. As we can say, uh, well, Russia is the biggest mass, uh, biggest country by the land mass. Yes. And you would expect it to be to export uh, produce rather than import, but for decades it was opposite, and there was no natural evolution from export to import. Mm. But there was that crisis that uh, encouraged local farmers and, uh, in particularly, uh, Russian government, to uh, change that. So we see the results already. We'll see how it goes further.
0: Um, And and another interesting trend, I think, and we've seen this in Russia, or we've seen this in other parts of the world and we're seeing it in Russia too, is that that retailers have started to invest in in their own greenhouses. What's happening?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Thank you for the question. Um, An interesting fact is that Tundra, uh, that's the largest uh, Russian retailer, Magnet, uh, actually is the pioneer Uh, in the greenhouse development. They are located, their headquarters are located in Krasnodar in the Russian South, and they aim to produce up to one third of their tomato assortment in their own greenhouse facilities. So that's an example of how rapidly it's going. And they uh, have about Oh, I may be wrong, but they have around 30 distribution centers around Russia. So they can not just uh, supply their tomatoes, distribute their tomatoes to their uh, s- uh, south region uh, outlets, but also across the country. That's yeah. a big force.
0: Now, um, while Russia has reduced its dependence on on Western Europe and, and and other countries that you mentioned at the top of the show, um, it's also started buying um, more from its former republics, as you, as you mentioned, also, especially those in Central Asia, such as Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan, of course. Now, you see their produce on your shelves nowadays. You sent me again some photographs just recently of the market in, uh, in St. Petersburg with some incredible looking produce from those countries. Um, you know these countries pretty well, don't you? You're doing quite a lot of work there now.
1: Well, yeah, I was lucky enough to travel to Uzbekistan and Tajikistan last year, which was a great uh, excitement for me because you only read about them in the books. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks to my job, I had to travel there across the production areas. Yeah, you're absolutely true. Um, uh, First of all, Azerbaijan, they have become over these five years, the number one tomato supplier to Russia. They even overpassed uh, Turks uh azerbaijani diaspora is still very strong uh in the russian produce sector there are lots of importers of this um origin and what when this crisis happened when the russian food happened they actually started some of them started to invest in uh tomato and apple production in, in azerbaijan and they started to um So to import their own production uh, produced in Azerbaijan by by their uh, companies there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an interesting trend. Uh, Another strong player is Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan in 2016 got a new president. Uh, After 26 years, they got a new president. And Mm -hmm. so they... um, uh, saw reforms in agriculture and international trade policies that immediately had an effect on trade with Russia. We started to receive more tomatoes, more cabbages, more stone fruit, more melons from uh, Uzbekistan. And it's, it's growing. Uh, I think that I was checking the statistics the other day. Uzbekistan doubled its supplies of vegetables to Russia over years. That's, that's very impressive
0: and and uh it uzbekistan is a is quite a big a big supplier of other of temperate fruits as well so stone fruits and and grapes yeah. and so on yeah. um, what what is happening in those countries there's huge amount of development going on isn't there
1: well yeah as i said that they started to uh, to be more proactive uh, on their international arena they are Uh, trying uh, to get uh, permissions to export to China. Mm -hmm. They are investigating the European markets. They have very cheap labor costs, as you can imagine. They have very fertile lands and, uh, I don't know, 365 days of sunshine. Mm
0: -hmm. So they
1: can actually harvest several crops uh, within the year, vegetable crops. So that's what we're seeing, more produce coming to Russia and to other countries.
0: And that whole area in Central Asia is also uh, kind of liberalizing. It's becoming uh, a huge uh, economic union of its own, isn't it?
1: Well, I would not say that all of them are liberalizing. Uh, Uzbekistan at least is. Uh, I'm not so sure about other states. But uh, what I- on the geopolitical arena, what is important to mention is the Eurasian Economic Union, that's the union, well, it's similar to the European Union. So it's the union that contributes to trade uh, between its members. And the members are Russia, who was the initiator of that, Belarus, Mm -hmm. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Armenia. So once that uh, union came into force, uh, that stimulated free movement of goods uh, on this big um, piece of land, Mm. And uh, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan uh, export their produce via Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, paying less uh, custom duties and um, facing more uh, trade liberalization, you know. So mm. that's another strong point in favor of um, that trade.
0: Yeah. And, and, and Iran, of course, I mean, just briefly, is, a, is another very important uh, supplier these days. And it's also supplying the Russian market, too.
1: Well, yeah, you probably saw some statistics. Iran actually is uh, getting, is biting from the Israel share. So when this uh, European, f- uh, on, when this Russian food uh, ban happened on the, against the European suppliers, we thought that the, the beneficiaries would be, say, Israel, uh, Latin America, um, some African countries. But actually, uh, Such countries as Iran uh, became more active and uh, they're cheaper than Israel. They can grow similar uh, assortment that is similar to Israel at a more affordable price. So yeah, they have been very successful with cucumbers uh, capsicums on the Russian market over years. So you, you, you see with all these uh, examples how evolving the industry is right now, many yeah. new players.
0: Uh, let, let's go back to, to Russia, to your homeland. And, and um, you, you mentioned uh, how Russia remains a very, very important market globally. Uh, for some key lines, apples and pears and and other products that have also been affected by the ban. Where is the consumption of these products nowadays? Are are Russians eating their five a day?
1: Well, what I I can say about that is that um, consumption of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables is uh, correlated with the purchasing power of the consumer. Uh, When the Russian food ban happened, uh, it didn't happen out of the blue. There were sanctions against Russia prior Mm -hmm. to that, and those sanctions did affect the Russian economy, unfortunately. And then there were some turbulences on the international fuel market that also affected the Russian economy in the negative way. So over these five years that we're discussing, six years, Russian ruble uh, exchange rate devaluated 50%. Mm. So you can imagine that salaries went down, that the imported produce became pricey to the consumers. And what we see is that fruit and vegetable consumption is still quite high. It's not co- it cannot be compared to the Soviet times when we were basically eating potatoes. It's still quite high if we compare it to our previous um, periods. But there is a change in the portfolio of in the assortment of produce that is consumed by people. For example, they eat less grapes, they eat less stone fruit, but they prefer more affordable, cheaper citrus and bananas, Mm -hmm. local apples, or Produced from Central Asia, actually, because Central Asia doesn't trade in rubles. They trade in oh, doesn't trade in in euros or dollars. They trade in rubles. That's another strong point that they
0: offer. Nice.
1: So we see that the consumption consumption is still on the level, probably decreased, but not 50 percent.
0: And, and 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 not this thing on the Apple market. I mean, I, you know, for a long time, well, from nowhere, uh, Russia went from being nowhere to being I think the world's biggest uh, market yes. for imported apples where Where are um, we now?
1: Yeah, Russia imported more uh, close to one point five million tons of apples per annum mm. from all around the globe, even from the united states it's it's long way from New Zealand as well uh, but between uh, uh, between two thousand thirteen and nineteen. The import went down by by half by eight hundred thousand metric tons wow. again, within those six years, the imports went down eight hundred thousand metric tons
0: yeah
1: local apples substituted part of that, and again there were investments in the seedlings, there were investments in storages and grading and sorting. Uh, Still, it's less than the, the than the total market uh, of apples prior to the crisis.
0: And and what are the apples that you're growing these days in Russia like? Are they uh, the varieties that you would find elsewhere in the world, or are they kind of more special local varieties?
1: So it's a mix. They're using a European uh, stocks. They're using a Russian uh, varieties as well. So it's a mix. Actually, Russian consumer is quite um patriotic about the apple varieties for example my mother and her girlfriends prefer russian breeds because that's <laughs> a taste of childhood you know so that would be sour varieties like Simiyanka, it's the probably a brother of granny smith yeah uh and some striped varieties you know
0: yeah well i think i think there's patriotism for for one's own uh, apples is true around the world it's not just in Russia of course that uh, people feel kind of something for the for the varieties that are grown locally now now where do things go for you uh, next Ksenia there's no chance it seems of this ban being lifted is there or I mean it's been in place six years and it'll be in place for another six or 16 or 60 years perhaps
1: well, it's hard to say because the ban came in effect very unexpectedly. When the news came out, we, we couldn't believe that it's true.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: potentially it can be lifted as fast as... As, as quickly. Yeah. As ...implemented. But it's unlikely because the political situation remains uh, stable. Mm-hmm. We uh, stand where we are and the European Union and the United States and other countries stand with their uh, opinion over yes. the situation. So it's unlikely, plus, after all those million and billion investment in uh, investments in uh, local agriculture, it's logical to protect their um, farmers mm-hmm. and give them some time to grow up and mm-hmm. uh, stand uh, still with their results.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and shop and shoppers locally haven't been kind of up in arms about this. Have no, they? we haven't seen.
1: So when that happened, we expected that consumers will be worried about the rising prices because the inflation was quite strong. Mm. Uh, on some categories, mm. it was up thirty percent. Like for example, on salmon, on on uh, farmed uh, Norwegian or um, European salmon, it was thirty percent. On some fruit commodities as well. But over time, uh, substituting countries were found, alternative suppliers were found, and it seems that there are no um, social um, movements towards lifting that ban. Mm.
0: And and of course, as you said, there's been considerable investment in in local agriculture.
1: Yeah, so and, you need
0: to uh, work Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What we've seen in the meantime, of course, is that there's been uh, a lot of supplies of infrastructure into, into Russia, uh, and that, that's going to continue, I imagine, for some time.
1: Yeah, uh, if we want to finish our conversation on a positive note, the positive news is for the suppliers of equipment for storages and logistics centers, the suppliers of seedlings and seeds, because they are and actually agro-economists and uh, technicians, because it's, it's a great market for them out there in Russia over these years, uh, and it, it will continue. Because there are, there there is more land to the east, and the development of modern retail is developing further further east. So there is a lot to do, and uh, yeah, Russia is eleven time zones. I think about three is covered now. We need to pass uh, seven more, you know, eight more.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, um, that that's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. That was really fascinating. I was joined down the line from St. Petersburg by Ksenia. Gorovaya, the Managing Director of Chris Consulting. Xenia, it's really good to talk to you again. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you. Now, you can find today's conversation with Xenia and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. It's good to be back after the summer break and I've got more great guests coming on the show in the coming weeks. If you've got some ideas of what you'd like me to talk about on Fruitbox, or even if you'd like to feature in a future episode, then do drop me a line to my email address, chris at fruitnet.com. Fruitbox is now on all the podcast platforms and getting loads of listens every week. We've even had our first sponsored episodes too. So if there's any more information about how to get your name onto Fruitbox, then do get in touch with me. That was Fruitbox and this is Chris White. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. To sponsor a future episode, Please email advertising at fruitnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at FruitNet Live. And don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com.